Hi, my name's Shelley Flett. Welcome to the Dynamic Leader Podcast, where I share insights, experiences, successes, and failures with leaders from across a broad range of industries and business structures. I maintain that each of us needs to be open to sharing our experiences and making the leadership playground safe enough to fail, to grow, to have fun, and ultimately become more dynamic. So please sit back and enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another Dynamic Leader Conversation. Today, I get to talk to someone who I think is quite amazing, um, and I'm feeling rather um, excited to be having this conversation today. So I've got Alison Hill joining me. Um, She is the co-founder and CEO of Pragmatic Thinking. Um, Pragmatic Thinking was founded in 2008, um, and it's a behavior and motivation strategy company which supports organizations with leadership development and culture change, so the people kind of stuff. Uh, And they do an amazing job. They've got some great work that they're um, they're doing there. And um, Ali is also a psychologist. Um, She's an award-winning businesswoman and influential keynote speaker, producer and host of Standout Life podcast. Um, I love podcasts, so I'm going to get onto that. Um, And regular on mainstream media. And she is a best-selling author, among other things. She is an amazing person. Thank you for joining me, Ali. Oh, great to be hanging out with you, Shelley. I feel like we need a glass of wine and sit on the couch, though. Is it too early is the question. But then, you know, it never really is, is it? (laughs) So today we're talking about Work From Anywhere, which is the title of your new co-written book with your husband and partner, Darren. Where I can't help but wonder whether it all came about because of COVID, but then I think, no, but this was needed before that, but maybe COVID was the catalyst. Tell us the story. Like, where did it come from? Uh, Agreed. In terms of work from anywhere, this is not a new conversation for leaders, not a new conversations inside workplaces. In fact, there are HR and heads of people and culture that have been beating this drum, sometimes feeling like they're doing it uh, with no one listening for a long, long time. And there are also organisations who have completely embraced uh, a work from anywhere or distributed model or having people working in different locations um, for a long, long period of time. Having said that, COVID provided a catalyst for workplaces where overnight, literally overnight, globally, Uh, across all industries, across all levels, we changed, fundamentally changed how we worked. And all the questions of can we, should we, death by committee, (laughs) uh, you know, what are the pros and cons of increased flexibility? Uh, None of those conversations need to happen because there was a greater purpose. Uh, And here in Australia, obviously we're talking in Australia, there was a government, government mandate. Mm. Um, that formed that catalyst. And so then it put this conversation around how how does work happen? Um, What do we need to shift and change in the way that we lead and the way that we support and look after people? So we could see that with the leaders that we work with, the organisations that we get to work alongside. Uh, The catalyst in terms of writing the book is was around some of that research and seeing that shift. It also paralleled our own journey. So Mm. we had a team of um, 15. And whilst that's a very small sample size for the types of organisations we work with, which is multinational, larger Mm. organisations, 
um, it was still felt like a petri dish of the kinds of questions, concerns, uh, uncertainty that leaders were facing. And so we had to change our thinking. We were very much, we're a culture first company. It's what we sell. We need to not be the plumber with the leaky taps. We look <laughs> at culture all the time. And we had a mantra of, you know, culture over comfort for those who had previously said to us, hey, you know, can I work from home? We would say, whilst it's possible, we really want you connected in with people. We really want you to come in and, and connect with each other and, and culture over comfort mm -hmm. is, is the lens we want you to be making the decision through. So we were uh, forced, it's probably a strong word, but, you know, forced in a lot of ways to reevaluate our own beliefs about work, our own beliefs about culture and went on a... Um, uh, journey um, I know that word gets used a lot but journey to to go well what does that look like and this isn't just about the practicality of do people have a fast internet and can they get on zoom and can they do their work it's about changing what if working from anywhere embracing that sense of the way that we do work the how of work changing what if that was a better way what if people people's experience of work actually could be fundamentally better if we embrace this and then how do we need to do that differently so yeah I think it's a conversation that was there but mm. by virtue of the sheer ve velocity and the sheer size COVID provided a catalyst for this conversation and continuing even now for that mm. conversation absolutely to be at the forefront for leaders and organisations. Yeah, it was um, really interesting to observe, you know, the uh, I do a lot of work with contact centres and the contact centre environment was that one. We've got people who work on the phones. They can't possibly work from home. And there were some organisations that were starting to do that. But I remember one speaking with one organisation um, and they said, no, we can't, we can't do it. We can't quality control the calls. It's been, we've spoken to technology about it. We've been talking to them for years about, you know, actually being able to quality monitor the calls. It was done in two days. <laughs> when, when there's a big enough why and purpose. Yeah. Geez, we're good at getting stuff done. Aren't so, we? <laughs> <laughs> so it just needed a little shift. So all of this, and I think it really makes you, you challenge the, um, are you saying you can't do it or are you saying that there's not the strong enough need to figure out how to do it is I think the question coming off the back of COVID. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for a lot of individuals making those decisions, there's also a lot of fear mm. and uh, make no mistake, even this year where things opening up and the opportunity for people coming back to work, we're now being asked to face those fears. Mm. What if we can't quality control phone calls what if our people are sitting at home on the couch watching Netflix and not working what if um, I'm taking a couple of extra hours out of my day to go to my kids school and what judge how will I be judged as mm -hmm. a leader by my people around me um, there are these fears about this new methodology of working that if we don't have the capacity to talk about the fears and have really open conversations they're going to trip us up and what will happen is we'll say it's not working we'll get everyone back to the office and I think that's 
um, a really, it'd be something that would be a missed opportunity um, at, at the very least. Mm. Uh, and at the, at the very worst, we're going to lose our best talent because they are now know that they can work with greater flexibility. We have proven productivity. We have proven uh, greater mm. connectivity. Uh, culture can be done. People mm. can feel engaged and connected in a methodology mm. um, that is different to sitting in the office nine till five or, you know, seven till six, <laughs> mm. um, that they will now, and there's huge amounts of research that are coming out, people saying that they will take um lower wages they will actually uh if being if they were required to go back to the office permanently that they would either start looking for other work or quit and mm. i would assess that that's probably your top talent absolutely and how much would that cost you in your workplace so it's that's another reason why uh, leaders really need to be asking the question of mm. what does flexibility mean and and how can we how can we genuinely do it differently? And we've really just be, re-baselined um, the this is the standard now. And I think, you know, retention of top talent is tough at the best of times. But now when you when you re-baseline, you go, well, flexibility is just a given. If you're not an organisation that's going to embrace a flexible way of working or a work from anywhere kind of approach, I'll just find somewhere that will because there are so many that have taken the opportunity and gone, we're not going back to the old way. This does work really well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that war from talent now is stronger, stronger than ever. Mm. And so, um, you know, pre-COVID, there was a lot of um, flattening of structures. There was a lot of autonomy that was being given out, even, you know, this whole concept of the autonomous team environment. Um, mental health has been something that has been spoken about more and more, this concept of flexibility and, and balance and, so working from anywhere really just is like it just feeds the needs that were already there. It feeds what where organisations were already going. It seems like the next logical step. Seems like it. <laughs> and, look, it's not easy. Um, you know, it, there's when I talked before about fears, what about disengagement? What about mm. um, feedback not happening well? What about, you know, team members who don't get along in the office now can literally avoid the, each other for weeks and weeks? And how is that helping mm. for, a, for a team structure? So there are genuine challenges. Mm. Um, and when we talk about work from anywhere, so many organisations right now are embracing hybrid uh, work so hybrids mm. become um, a new part of our vocabulary uh, a lot like so, exposure sites and contact tracing <laughs> <laughs> so tell us the difference because you talk about you talk about um, work from anywhere you talk about hybrid teams and you talk about distributed distributed teams can you share with us you know what the what the difference is between the three yeah absolutely so um i guess really work from anywhere is a, a philosophy for one of another word so what what what's the mindset that we need to have for work to be done differently and for so many years many leaders um would have heard of and i'm certainly a big fan of simon sinek's work where he, he talks about start with why mm. and that's been so important for organizations to go what's your purpose uh for now i think the conversation is about how we work and really asking that question. I think that's the new frontier for, for workplaces. So how we work, um, 
when I say traditionally, but there's, if you think about an office environment, so work has a location that might have a headquarters or an office uh, that you go to and your work hours are structured mostly around having a, a, a an office. Um, so we use the term co-located. Mm. So whilst there might be different offices in different areas, there's still a, a location where you're co-located with your colleagues or your team under a roof. And even if you might travel for your work, often that's your like kind of the hub and spoke and you'll come back to that co-location. So if you and, think about... And that was the model that you had in your team prior to lockdown yeah 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 so we had two offices one in Brisbane one on the Gold Coast um but yeah people would come into those offices a lot of the work that we did was training so people were training in different locations or um you know working in different areas so so whilst we had an office um we were used to having conversations on the go you know working on laptops on on planes and those sorts of things Mm. but essentially when the team gathered they gathered under uh, the same roof yeah got it um so if you think about that up, up one end of the continuum down the other end of the continuum is what we call fully distributed teams uh some of the terminology might be remote work uh, there's mm-hmm. a fellow called matt mullingweg who is the um founder of wordpress and mm-hmm. he uses the term called distributed because remote feels like there's a headquarters we come back to, whereas distributed is everyone works wherever they want to work. Mm. There is no central office. There is no place that you gather or return to. Um, so he has a thousand people in his organization worldwide, fully distributed. Um, so some people might work from home, some might work from co-working spaces might work from the local coffee shop wherever that is that's that's yeah. fully distributed mm. um so so probably thinking about those on two ends of the spectrum so hybrid is a mix of both mm. so hybrid there's not a particular formula when you think about hybrid it's not three and two it's not a kind of a shift and change but uh the opportunity for hybrid and the conversations inside workplaces is that they the flexibility might match be dependent on your role yeah so the kind of work that you need to do be dependent on what the business needs right now so again you think about a rhythm across a financial year or a calendar year there might be seasons where it's really important that we get everyone in for this month it's end of financial year and we can just get so much work Mm. done if over the next three weeks we we come into a space and that might be an office space where we're actually working side by side um so that yeah, that methodology might be the role, the business, and then what works for you on an individual level, which mm. is part of that conversation around kind of mental health, um, how I best work, um, what's going on from a family perspective, mm. that, that kind of flexibility as well. So hybrid, yeah, it kind of falls between that mix of we are gathering at certain times mm. um, and there are opportunities then to work in in different locations so there are some organizations i was talking to an engineering company only this week who um, globally have gone we are permanently going to say we want everyone out of the office for three days a week um, and so now when we get together so they've actually said we don't do off-sites anymore we do on-site <laughs> and that's when we get together and collaborate and and um 
connect and get to know each other and then we go back into work can happen anywhere mm. else in other locations and so um I, I love the I love the concept of distributed teams. I've heard hybrid teams used a lot. I've heard a lot of leaders um, express how um, anxious, you know, leading a team of people in the hybrid environment looks like. And I think a lot of people are still finding their way. But is there some is there some basic kind of things that leaders should be focusing on um, yeah. when you know engaging? in the hybrid environment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, A lot of what we are talking to leaders and organisations about is this is a new skill set. So it's not like taking the way that we led in an office environment and now applying it to Zoom. Um, And whilst we were kind of forced to in a lot of ways, when COVID hit, there's now this opportunity to to re even as you said, reset the baseline, reevaluate mm. how how we do leadership across this space. Um, so I think it starts with, as I mentioned before, it starts with even just investigating our own beliefs about work. Um, when we get frustrated that people aren't coming into the office, what does that mean? What would we believe about coming into the office for that to happen? Mm. Um, Are there certain people that, you know, press our buttons or frustrate us even more in terms of the way that they're working? And what is it about that? What's what's our belief about that? Do we believe that they should be, you know, online at 6am because that's when I am? So so Mm. it's really important to do a bit of that self-awareness around our own beliefs about work. And it's not to say any of them are right or wrong, but they can be the things that can be the sources of frustrations. Mm. Um, which then changes how you lead or the types of rules of engagement that you might have specifically as a leader, Mm. Um, how much of that is organisational based and how much of that is driven by your own um, kind of core beliefs. Mm. It is useful to have a framework as well. So uh, one of the things we created with our team and we now educate and work with leaders and organisations around is having a framework is an important place to then come back into the conversation. Um, so this is kind of like a three-tier, think of it like a ladder type framework. At the very bottom, performance is critical. Mm. So at the end of the day, if you are employed in a role, there are tasks to be done. Yeah. And one of the greatest things to increase a level of trust, regardless of where you are working, is that the work gets done. Mm. And so for leaders and teams to be having really open conversations about what does performance look like? Mm. What do we need to tick off? What is required right now? Because the moment that that drops off, the moment you haven't heard from someone for two days and you have no evidence of any activity, trust disappears. It does. And that's when we start to go, they're having a lend. So coming back to performance, um, and again, that some of that shift is where we might be kind of micromanaging or we can witness performance under a, um, <laughs> when I say witness, we, we think we witness people working, but people can hide that even in yep. an office space Correct. as well. Um, but what is it that needs to get done? Giving people a time frame and then allowing the flexibility about how they get, how they deliver. Mm. Yeah. is a different place but it's coming back to that that performance 
What do you need to get done? What does the team need from you? What does the organisation, what do our customers and clients require Mm. for the role that you are in? So I think much greater clarity about that is so helpful and useful in this timeframe and in this way of working. The next layer of the, the ladder is talking about culture. So when the work is getting done, we also need to find ways to connect on how we connect around here. What's, what are the things and culture? Um, I love the definition of Michael Henderson, who's a corporate anthropologist in New Zealand, who is just the most remarkable man. Uh, but he talks about culture at the very heart of it is the things that we care about around here. Mm, and right. so in a an office environment, we often see the artifacts of the things that we care about based on the posters we have on the wall, the way the tea room is set up, the way the office is set up, uh, whether people have photos of their family at their desks or not, whether people hot desks or not. The things that we care about can often be seen around us in a hybrid or if we have, we're doing much more video conferencing or we're not seeing those artifacts it's not that the poster is not relevant but we can come back to the conversation about what is it about that poster that demonstrates that what's the core of the thing that we care about and how do we translate that Mm. to a uh, kind of a hybrid way of working or through video conferencing so having those conversations about culture and we're working well as a team what does that look like and that Mm. can be some of those conversations around how do we care about our people I think one of the the upsides of um, working from home is that all of a sudden we are physically in people's homes. We are meeting their kids as they crawl over their lap. We're meeting pets. We're we're, we're kind of seeing into people's lives in a way that we never have before. Mm. And so how do we celebrate that as a team and have people feeling like the human beings that they are when they come to work? Um, so really putting focus on culture. So what happens when, and I, I totally align with the, um, you know, culture is really, really important. What happens if you have for the leaders that might be listening that have people that resist that, um, they, the cameras are never on, they're always on mute. They might not ever engage in the conversation I think one of the biggest challenges for leaders is how do I actually get them if they weren't engaged and often it's they weren't engaged prior to at work moving into that environment (laughs) yes um you know how do they re-engage at that point look it's such a great question and I agree with you I I we certainly found um really at the crux of like when COVID hit last year, whatever was happening in workplaces got amplified. And so if they were really connected teams, all of a sudden they they were connected mm. online. If there was fractures or people disengaged, all of a sudden they found ways to do that online. Yeah. So I think there was there there was and, and can continue to be because now it's become the default. It's been okay that I haven't had my camera on for nine months. So why are mm. you telling me I have to have it on? Um, it can be some of that pushback. Mm. So having a bigger reason. So I guess really what you're describing is when I talk about what do we care about around here is one of the things that we care about, the opportunity to see each other. To see. And it can be as simple as that. It doesn't have to be complex. I think we try to make things too complex. Yes. <laughs> I want to see you because blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I just want to yes. see you. 
Yes. Yeah. So, so I think that's the opportunity to talk about and, and even having a team conversation. Um, Mm. So one of the things we we've got, um, and I'm happy to share even with your listeners is a team identity charter. Mm. So that can be a prompt for your team to talk about who are we now as a team in this new method. Mm. And in that conversation, when we're working well, what does that look like? When we're not working well, what does that look like? Mm. And we've done that a couple of times with our team over the last 12 months. And, you know, the things of when it's not working well is things like um, people start to become disengaged on Slack. So we use Slack as kind of our, our intranet messaging system. So people aren't posting on Slack. Um, they're hard to contact on the phone. Mm. Um so they are just a couple of those tripwires that actually for us that's really important mm. that that kind of happens. So something like that can provide an opportunity for a leader to facilitate the conversation with their team to say, how do we feel? Do Is that important? Are there particular meetings where it's okay to have your camera off and there are particular meetings where actually this meeting we really want to, it's only going to be short, but we want to see everyone so have yourself prepared, mm. think about your background, put some clothes on that aren't your PJs. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's when we ambush people that that yes. can feel like, you know, I want to be seen, but I'm at home. But yeah. when we can prepare and set up those expectations um, and have a reason, as you say, it doesn't have to be hard or complex, but have a purpose around it, mm. then talk it through. Um, so then what right. you've got is this cultural norm mm. that as a leader, it's important to hold people accountable around. So mm. then if it continues to not happen, um, one of the conversations I've been talking to leaders about is you might have a, a contractor and not a team member. So I think if there is a disengagement from culture, but people are delivering and so often we'll, we'll look over the cultural elements because well, they're doing their job. Mm. or they're really critical they're the only person that can do that in the team so if I talk to them about this they might not and that's not a new conversation that's been happening since we've had leaders that we we tolerate the shift we tolerate poor cultural behavior because of productivity Mm. but that has an impact on the rest of the team so um if people are delivering their work and they're doing it in time that fits with them, the honest truth is you've got a contractor. Mm. And at some point, the organisation will outsource that role to a contractor. Yep. Um, and so if you want to retain a team member, you have to be having conversations about culture. I love that differentiation. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> and there will be more and more people that will go, actually, I'm, I prefer to be a contractor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's totally fine. But then there are cultural elements, the the sense of belonging, the sense mm. of being part of a team. Um, and so, again, depend if that's a possibility, depending on your team or organisation, mm. that can be a really, it can be a freeing conversation for that person when they go, yeah. you know what, I have realised being around family is more important, being able to do the time, do the work at the time. Um, is more my kind of autonomy what does go with that is obviously the the certainty of, mm. of regular work um, but 
we've also realized that that certainty is is fragile anyway in mm. any <laughs> in any mm. role um and so that can be quite a, a empowering open conversation with people and it all comes down to choices and what's the trade-off for each decision that we make so you know if i do want to be part of the team i do have to jump on board the culture train and um you know get involved and um and if I don't, then I step over to the contractor side. But with that comes the loss of, of certainty and stability to a certain extent, if that even exists um, anymore. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but also that, you know, that community. So it, it is an individual preference um, in a lot of instances. I think it's awesome if organisations can actually give that and make that happen, How just how much control that then gives back and how much better accountability conversations become after that. Yes. Yeah. What mm. does that look like? Yeah. And I think um, that's where in these conversations they are so individual. So I think a lot of uh, organisations and, you know, policy writers are looking for a, a one-stroke kind of fits all. And mm. I think there can be frameworks and philosophies around how we work and what does that mean that's important. Um but we've always needed to have quite individual conversations about role delivery mm. um, and, and match cultural match um, to, to where we are. And so um, it's really just amplifying those quite individual conversations in the current, uh, in the current world of work. Yeah, absolutely. So coming back to, you know, leaders and I think, I think there are some leaders that have adapted to this and gone, this is just the best. Like it's the best time to be leading teams. It's, you know, you've got the freedom and you're empowering them and, you know, things are going really well. And then you've got other leaders who um, struggle with ambiguity. They struggle with the grey. So what does that look like? Do I need to keep track of who's coming in and when? And, you know, how will I know if someone's taking advantage and, and so reassessing beliefs for leaders where they, they are struggling in that space is, I guess, doable to a certain extent on their own, but they really need support in being able to manage those beliefs. Well, at least in my opinion, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we, um, for every, all of us, uh, finding ways to get out of our own way <laughs> is really key. Yeah. So whether that might be colleagues, people that you trust, peers, mentors, investing in coaching, um, you know, having, I think it's also the investment in your own learning. And this yeah. podcast is such a beautiful gift of that in so many ways. And, you know, one of the things you're putting out, but there are so many podcasts that as leaders we can listen into and we can be taking, yeah. oh, okay, that's a different way of looking at it. I hadn't thought about that. Um, looking at different industries. And so mm -hmm. one of uh, the clients we've been able to work with um, in the last 12 months is Laminex. So they are a manufacturing company, one of Australia's biggest manufacturing companies. And when you think about work from anywhere, you don't think manufacturing. And yet they have been on a three-year journey to have a very strong work from anywhere policy. Obviously in their factories, they have to have people there at certain times, but uh, for they've got so many staff that aren't factory-based. Yeah. Um, and so their story is, is fascinating. But even in the factories, you know, staff are going, well, what does flexibility look like for us? So um, I think, yeah, investing in 
that support but mm. knowing that there are you know a big part of that is just investing in your own your own curiosity in asking the questions and seeing what's going to fit for the way that you lead um, and and then asking those conversations from your executive group um, your people and culture around mm. what what are we how do we make sure we're not doing hybrid by default because mm. it's just what we've been doing in the last 12 months and we'll just keep going and how do we be intentional about it and then what are the skills where am I seeing those gaps and what are the skills that I need to pick up and learn mm. from here and so to be curious I find that you need to let go of um, anything that is driven by fear if you have leaders that are still quite fearful of what does this mean? Like, I don't want to let go. How can I hold on tightly? How do they let go of the fear before they can kind of step into that curious, let me test, let me try, let me see kind of space? Yeah, yeah. It's such a, a great point and a really good question. Um, fear is an interesting thing to have a relationship with. And I probably come from the point of um, fear turns up when we are doing something new, mm. when we are kind of pushing the boundaries, stepping into the unknown, the uncertainty. It's really important to, um, as I said before, even just listen to the fears. I think part of that self-awareness is even if you're listening to this, grab a blank piece of paper and just write down all the stuff that's frustrating you. <laughs> what's kind of like, and what's the fear that sits behind that? And you don't have to share that with anyone. You could burn it later, but, but allowing somewhere to get out the stuff that maybe you wouldn't share with staff um, or your mm. colleagues, but to be able to see it in your own handwriting or see it in black and white can be a way to just to recognize that, oh, actually that is something that I'm afraid of. How am I going to be judged in my own leadership? Mm. Um, how will others think of me? Um, what am I missing? And I also recognize for really great leaders in the last 12 months, a lot of them are tired. Mm. So they've cared so deeply. They have worked extra long hours. They have, had to their cognitive load of what they've carried has been huge huge and so one of those fears can be what's it going to cost me like I haven't had a good night's sleep in three months and I, you know I've got all of this and you're telling me I've now got to look at this framework and you know I'm, yeah. I'm tired um, and so it is recognizing I think first and foremost fear turns up when we're doing something different so fear is not something to um it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a, it's not something we should avoid. Mm. It's useful to get clear on what those fears are. Um, and just sitting and yes, so just kind of even writing mm. those out can be a useful kind of practice. Um, I love uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's metaphor on, on fear where she talks about, and she talks about it from the sense of creativity, but in a lot of ways, creativity is, is stepping into the uncertainty and the unknown, which is mm. what leaders are doing. And honestly, they do it every single day. Every day. Um, and so I've seen people do creative, incredibly creative work with Excel spreadsheets. And, <laughs> you know, so creativity isn't about painting and drawing. It's, mm. it's really about thinking differently. Mm. Uh, but her take is that every time we do something creative, fear turns up. Um, but she thinks about it 
in the way that fear absolutely can be there and it can come along for the ride, but it doesn't get the driver's seat. In fact, mm. it sits in the back seat, tucked away with a cup of tea and a blanket. Um, it doesn't even get to choose the songs that we play <laughs> as we're driving. In a um, five-point restraint, if you can. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so you say thank you. Uh, thank you, Fear, for, for looking out for me. Um, yeah. But I've got this. I'm okay. Love it. Um, so, so again, it's not... Uh, not, not sometimes not even trying to get rid of fear but it's it's um it's just understanding what its role is uh mm. and then making making sure it's not in the driver's seat and I guess that can be um you know the decision of this isn't working we'll get everyone back to the office can be yep. is fear in the driving seat or is that you know a, a strategy moving forward yeah I love that I love I love not trying to get rid of fear but acknowledging it for its protection of us <clears throat> just not letting it be in the driver's seat I think it's so good thank you um I've got I've got a final question and it was prompted by um one of the bolded um, sections of your book that said action precedes clarity and and I've got some questions around that because and this comes from someone that is super quick to act and often ends up being more confused out of it and that I always thought well I was at least um, told by one of the coaches that I had at one point that confusion precedes clarity and don't worry you sit in that confused stage but now I'm like well tell me about this action precedes clarity because I think I want some more of that (laughs) (laughs) how do I just get stuff done (laughs) without the confusion coming in yeah 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 Talk me through, I'll answer it, but I'm interested in when you say sometimes action leads to more confusion. Unpack that for me a little bit more. So often the action is just doing something, doing anything without really sitting long enough for the ideas to manifest or um, exploring different ways of doing. I think action is often what I've done before and what I can do easily. So very much systems one thinking, it's really automatic, it's it's quick. And while it feels like it probably achieves things, often I have found at least in my past that I've had to then go over and do those again because my action has been too fast, it's not been well thought through, um, it needed just probably a little bit more time to manifest and but I get there's probably a spectrum here as well. <laughs> what do you think you, if anything, you learn from having to redo things? Like if you kind of move fast and go, oh, I hadn't, I've missed something there. Is there learning in that? Yes, eventually. Sometimes it takes me three or four times of, <laughs> gosh, I'm back here again. How am I back here again? Yes. <laughs> Yes, and so it does take an incredibly long time sometimes. Sometimes yeah. the, the lessons come quickly and it's like, okay, I just need to adjust and tweak and, and keep going. Yes. Yes, yeah. Um, so I'm smiling. There is a part of me going, oh, I hope you will indulge me in this, but I'm almost going. So what you want is the right action. Yeah. Certainty. <laughs> That's not what you mean by that statement, is it? No. <laughs> Okay. Um, so it doesn't say action brings certain. 
Okay, that's great. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, I think it, it is really good. I think one of the other things, and again, you know, we've, we've only had a couple of minutes to kind of talk this through, but um, it can be, and what's the new action? So if the action is what I've always done, then um, it's it can be, okay, here's an opportunity to do something new. Really where the intention of that um statement or guiding principle for one of another word came from is really around I've seen so many leaders and organizations and individuals um, go out into their own business and they are seeking um, you know certainty uh, I want to know this will work or they spend so much time making sure their logo is right it's the right color yeah. that it's in the right spot on their website that the font size is the right size um, and when you talk to them about, you know, their work and, and aspirations, they haven't actually spoken to any clients, but they've spent three months on this business and they're wondering why no one's knocking on the door. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and so therefore they're in this state of, well, maybe I should give it up. I'm not sure. I'm in this kind of confusion because it's what I really want to do, but nothing's happening. Mm. Um, and so really that for me and for our team is that guiding principle of what do we, what can we do? What's, what's the action that we can take that will then help us to know whether that was the right direction or not. And I think it's a lot of very small prototyping. Mm. So what's the step I can take? What, what can I learn from that? What do we hear? Um, how do we kind of put this into place? that helps then to bring clarity and unfortunately for you that you know, what, what you're describing they can be so frustrating but yeah. each of those little ones gives you even if the action is down the wrong road now we know that yeah. if that was the wrong person to be talking to about this project now I'm clear on what questions and the kind of person I need to go and talk to um, rather than waiting for the perfect brief the perfect uh, project plan, uh, mm. the perfect learning and development action. Uh, and so the truth is we saw it amplified in March, April last year where leaders had no plan and they had nothing more than to get on Zoom or mm. <laughs> get a video conferencing call and and step into action and mm. then get clear about what worked and what didn't. Um, so it's probably yeah. more a, a prototyping mindset and to learn along the way um, that when we feel stuck and uncertain so curiosity is really important I, I am a big believer in that mm. but I know for myself I can stay there and ruminate for a long time <laughs> and so it's probably my own impetus to go just do something <laughs> what I um what I really value in what you've just said is that um Clarity, clarity is different to certainty and I think up until our conversation I'd probably put them in the same category but now you mentioned it I think certainty is almost like a stationary point that we achieve versus clarity is just this ever evolving which fits with leadership and it fits with workplaces so much better than certainty because it is all just changing and if you stop with certainty in a environment that is continuing to change you are very very quickly made irrelevant you you know yeah. lose value yeah exactly and you're right I mean what one of the the biggest qualities and necessities in leadership is that ability to adapt as things come 
and there are plenty of teams and and leaders who have a new way of working set up they've organized who's coming in and who's not how often we're gathering mm. um, might be we're getting everyone together once a month or once a quarter and so they've got that plan but then life shows up and we were only talking before we jumped on you know even in my life this year my father passed away earlier in the year we've lost a very very close friend and so that's that's part of the adaptability. Um, mm. Even in the 12 months in my team, we had someone get married. Who was going to be a massive wedding, ended up being 15 people. Mm. We had someone have a baby. We had our first PT baby. Um, we had someone lose their mother and then have to organise a funeral in two days to get back across the border. Um, there are these stories. There are, this is the life that leaders are also supporting their people through um, that require that we don't have a formula for we don't have certain that's that's the uncertainty of of life and work and leadership as well mm. that um, that it's in those actions that it is in that that small thing that we get clearer on the things that are important to us as leaders it's in those moments where we might remember to write a handwritten note to someone to say thanks for what they've done today and they get a letter in the mail as opposed to a uh you know an email mm. that changes their whole week mm. um and that's those those moments of action that help us get clear around for me clear around the things that really matter that's so great um and i think that's a wonderful place to end it on um that you know if you're a leader out there and you're struggling for clarity, just take some action and do something and, and then do it again if you need to, but take the lessons from it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's so gold. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Ali, I think oh, I love talking to you. I love your, the way you think and the words of wisdom and um, yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a delight. Thank you, Shelley. And thank you everyone for listening. I look forward to another Dynamic Leader conversation soon. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Dynamic Leader. There is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy, to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and we'll see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.